0: I'm Pastor Mike Winger, and this is Bible Thinker, the program dedicated to thinking biblically about everything. We're starting something new right now. We're going to go into the book of Romans, and before we go into it verse by verse slowly, I thought it would be a really good idea to do it um, overview, go all 16 chapters of Romans tonight. We're not going to read every verse. We're going to do a survey of the book, and the purpose of this is not that you would get One main message from the book of Romans. That's not my purpose. My purpose is that you would see the flow of thought chapter by chapter in the book of Romans because there is a flow of thought. Sometimes we do these great verse by verse Bible studies, you know, and maybe we just study one verse carefully or two or three verses, but we lose the the flow of thought. How does that fit the context of the book or of the passage? And so we sometimes miss the whole point that it's trying to communicate. So we're going we're gonna to get into this book, Romans. I'm stoked to do Romans. I have several really serious reasons why I want to do this. Uh, for Sunday nights as well as because I want to put this up on YouTube. I want to have the gospel message clearly and repeatedly proclaimed on my YouTube channel. I want it to be there. And Romans is a fantastic book to be able to do that. Um, to give not only the gospel message over and over again. But really give a thorough, huge gospel message as well as all these little ones. You'll get it as we do it. It'll make sense. Um, now the the book of Romans is really unique and I thought about doing other books but this is the one we're doing for now because um, the uniqueness of Romans is this Paul had never been to Rome at least as a, as a believer he had never been to Rome and that means that this book is different than, than the letters he wrote to say the Ephesians or the Colossians or the Corinthians or something like that because he already knew them and he wrote to them to respond to certain situations. But Rome, he didn't write to respond to a situation. He wrote to give them his information about the gospel of Jesus. You see, it's, it's, it's like a, uh, a fresh start. Oh, new audience. So let me start from the beginning and let me give you the whole deal. That's what he does in the book of Romans. And I I personally find that really exciting. So like Galatians is written in response to these Judaizers, these Jewish people who came and they tried to force the Galatians to adopt the Old Testament laws as a requirement for following Christ. And the Galatians is written in response to that. They attached it to the gospel itself. So then it's written in response to that. It, It does deal with the gospel, of course, but it's specifically that situation. First Corinthians was written to deal with disunity specifically disunity and sin in the church, sin in the body of Christ. And so it's a very motivating book as far as for unity and sanctification. Uh, Philemon was written in response to the uh, this, the situation where there was a runaway slave. And then it's this really neat scenario. As you read the book, you start to realize the story behind it and it's really interesting. Romans, however, isn't like that. It's a whole treatment of the Christian faith and life, not only what we believe, but how we live, including some very often ignored details that we really seriously need. Like, we need this stuff as believers. And it is frequently ignored. Um, Not because people are trying to be jerks. that (laughs) is, We just sometimes, we miss out on things. We have blind spots, and we don't even realize that they're there. And the Word of God, I think, becomes a light to our feet, you know? And it deals with those blind spots. So, when you write a letter to a group of people who... You want to share with them, as Paul says, my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. You you, you do something better than um, than just to start as though they already know what you're saying. And by doing that, Paul comes with this sort of really brilliant mixture of theology, philosophy, and then the practicality of the Christian life. And it's kind of all mixed in there together. So it's it's basically the book of Romans is as smart as you'll let it be. <laughs> And we're going to try to let it be very smart, very, not, not something that should be talking over anyone's head, but just let it happen. But for right now, we're going to do an overview. So in Romans chapter 1, looking at verses 18 and 19, I just want to pull out a, a couple verses out of each chapter, and we're going to sort of plow through the book and just say, what is the general flow of thought that we're getting? Well, Romans chapter 1, um, verses 18 and 19, he says this, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. This is the uh uh-oh chapter. I mean, it's not the only uh uh-oh chapter, but it starts kind of with an uh uh-oh. He he introduces the letter, like a general introduction, talks, and then he gets into sort of the, the first meaty part where he's like, hey, God's wrath has been revealed because you know who God is and you've sinned. General revelation. We get into this theology of general revelation. And, and what people know that there's a God. We all know it. It's it's, a, it's, a, it's evident. In fact, even atheists will, will commonly say that humans are hardwired to believe in God. Hardwired to believe in God. Of course, the, that's what the atheist says. What the believer says is it's just obvious that there's a God. <laughs> it's not that I'm just that I'm hardwired. It's also that it's a response to the evidence that's there. Um, but we all have a problem with this God because we know that we've done false things and wrong things. And so we have that sense of guilt and awareness of God. And that's that's how he starts. Um, And he's going to get into great details about idolatry, false religion, and specific sins of mankind. Then, after saying, "Uh uh-oh, notice this is like the message of the gospel. Hey, there's an uh uh-oh that you need to know about. Right? You've sinned and fallen short. Well, Romans 2, he then explains that this guilt um, is known by all of mankind. You know you're guilty. So not only do you know there's a God, but you know you're guilty of sin. Romans 2 verse 3, it says, And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God. This is actually not a do not judge passage. It's a little bit better than that. He's saying, the fact that you judge proves that you know right and wrong. And yet, you're doing the things that you don't like other people doing. So you know you're guilty. So you know there's right and wrong, and you know you don't do it right. And so you know there's a God and you know you've sinned, that's what he's declaring. and he has is not using this uh, he's not saying, and because the Bible says you know it, he's just saying that this is general knowledge. People know this. and it, so God's going to judge with righteous judgment as the standard. That's the purpose of Romans two, in a sense. <clears throat> and then um, you're, you know this from one of two ways, either from conscience or because of the Old Testament law. The Jews know it through the law. The Gentiles know it through conscience. So it's, everybody knows it. Then in Romans 3, it makes it clear that nobody meets the righteous standard that he talked about in Romans 2. That's why it says uh, in Romans 3.20, it says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight for by the law is the knowledge of sin. By the law is the knowledge of sin. So, <clears throat> when you get the rule, you realize you broke it. By the awareness of morality, I immediately become aware that I fail morally. I'm a moral failure. <laughs> and so, I, I, know I'm, I know I'm a sinner. So, whether that's by the law or by conscience, either way, everyone has failed. And to prove this, he uses philosophy and Old Testament scripture. And I mean, it's smart stuff. I love, I love reading it. I love studying it. And I can't wait to get there and teach it carefully. He uses philosophy and Old Testament scripture to prove all this stuff. And then quickly he brings in Jesus and we really need Jesus at this point, I think. (laughs) You know, I'm like, yes, okay, there's a God. His wrath is revealed. I've sinned, you've sinned, we've all sinned. Oh no. Um, Romans 3 verses 22 through 24, it says, Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there's no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He'll unpack this more later, but he introduces it now. He's like, this is it, right? This is the gospel. It's like he's street witnessing. Hey, you know there's a God. Hey, you know about morality. Hey, you know you sin against him. Hey, but if you put your faith and trust in Christ, you could be freely forgiven. You could be redeemed. So um, it's what we know, what we should do about it. how we're not saved and how you can be saved, (laughs) all that kind of stuff. Romans 4 gets into what I think is an incredibly unappreciated chapter. If you think about it, you probably knew some of Romans 1, 2, and 3. Off the top of your head, you probably didn't know much about Romans 4. It's, it's It's a very unappreciated chapter. What he starts to do is he starts to say, here's how this gospel I'm proclaiming of salvation by faith alone, how it's actually been taught all along, even in the Old Testament. And this is super important to Paul. People miss this. This is one of the things they miss. Christianity, it's super super important that we have an Old Testament and we have a New Testament. And that the Old Testament predates the New Testament. So that the teachings of the New Testament, finding their foundation in the Old, creates this link, this unity of the scriptures, which is very important. Paul, he would preach using the Old Testament to demonstrate Christ as the Messiah, to demonstrate salvation by faith. And we get that preaching in Romans. So here in Romans 4, he starts to demonstrate how Abraham was saved by faith. That it was not good works that saved Abraham, it was his faith. Romans 4 verses 2 and 3. It says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Quoting Genesis here. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Wait, he had righteousness by faith? Yes. Yes, he did. Here we go. 2,000 years before Jesus, we have already a doctrine of righteous by faith. It's not new. It's just fulfilled in Christ. Then he goes and talks about uh, David and how David was saved by faith and he quotes the Psalms, uh, specifically what David wrote to prove that David knew this and actually preached it. And these are two very important Jewish patriarchs and it was important to him to ground everything he did in the Old Testament. Now let me just draw a contrast. Um, Christianity shows up and says, here's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Let me show you. Let me prove it. 400 years later, a little longer than that actually, uh, Muhammad shows up and he has the revelation of the Quran. But because he says that the Bible is, is God's word, at least parts of it, the Gospels and the book of Psalms and the law, the first five books of Moses, these are specifically identified in the Quran as being from God. But the problem is the, the Quran has teachings that are directly contrary to the Bible. So here we have a problem. So how did they handle this? See, New Testament teachers said, we Have the Old Testament fulfilled, let's show you. But the Quran, uh, the followers of the Quran and Muslim apologists, you know what they say? They say, oh, your Bible's corrupted. That's why you can't find this stuff in there. That's convenient, isn't it? Your Bible did preach about Islam. It's just that it's corrupted and we can't find it or find any evidence or proof for it. But it was in there, just take our word for it. Um, That's a little sketchy a little sketchy. Any any religious group that, that claims to have come from Scripture but has to look back at Scripture and say, well, it should be in there but it's gone now because someone took it out. Yeah, that's a little sketchy. <laughs> so, <clears throat> he uses Old Testament Scripture to prove his points. And in Romans 5, we get into this, uh, this idea of having the results of having Christ. Having peace with God, having a future hope in heaven and having fruit through the trials we experience. So, those are three different things. He talks about those. Romans 5.1, he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Romans 4 backs up salvation by faith. Romans 5, the results of salvation by faith. Because I'm saved by faith and it's not by my works, I have peace with God. You know what peace is? Peace isn't a ceasefire. There are lots of wars that have ceasefires, moments where we're not shooting at each other. But really, we're still at war. Peace is peace. Peace is when I can invite them back over to my table to eat. You know, This is peace. And I don't have a ceasefire with God. Lord, and until I blow it, and then I'm condemned all over again. That would be this, a ceasefire version of Christianity. But because I'm saved not by my works, but I'm saved by faith, I'm not going to undo that salvation through works. I'm saved by faith. And so I have peace with God. And I have this, <clears throat> this glorious benefit And then he gets into some deep theology about what Jesus did. And I mean cool theology stuff. He relates to Jesus to Adam and shows correlations between these two. Showing really the unity of the Old and New Testament. Um, Gets into the law and how we should understand the Old Testament law. There's actually several books of the New Testament that really make clear how we should understand the Old Testament law. Romans is one of them. And I'm excited to get into it because some of us maybe you're going, you know, I, I don't really know what to do with the law sometimes. I don't really know what to do with the law. And I would say if you don't know what to do with the law, then there's some New Testament stuff that you don't know what to do with either because it tells you in there. <laughs> and so we'll get more familiar with that and we'll get better at understanding God's law. God's law is good. It's good. But people often misunderstand it. So we're going to talk about that. And then um, I think it's kind of like what Paul's doing as we go through Romans here is he's, it, it's like a good recipe. You ever go to those really good restaurants where the food is just mm, like, whoa. And it's funny because it's the same ingredients that you might get somewhere else. But it's it's not just that the food's good quality. It's the way that that chef is able to combine those ingredients. Like in the right amounts and stuff. And you eat and you're like, there's layers of flavor. Like when I cook something, there's just a flavor, right? But these are like, <laughs> le- there's like different flavor. I'm like, ooh, oh, ooh, 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 you know. I'm going to eat another one. And this is the theology in Romans. It's like these this depth and layers and... Beauty that's there to it, and as we go through it, we're going to try and just appreciate what's there. I just want to—I just want to grab it and and soak it up, and you know, chow down on it and taste all the layers. That's that's our goal. Um, so then, in um, <clears throat> in Romans six, it starts to get into the Christian life. He hasn't talked about the Christian life yet—how we would live as Christians or what what are we to do now. But in Romans six, he begins to get into it. Romans 6, verse 1, it says this. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, this is a, it, it'll say certainly not, or, you know, but, but this is, there's a construction of a sentence here that's negative. It's a strongly negative. It, it's a rhetorical question that's meant to say, no, 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 don't do this. This is a very challenging and needful passage, Romans chapter 6. Challenging because it tells us about our freedom from sin, the danger of sin, the slavery of sin, and calls us to live in a righteous life as Christians. Well, Mike, that's sinless perfectionism. No, it's not. But we're called to live a righteous life. I'm called to righteousness. I'm called to good works. Sin is never excused. Never have an excuse for sin. Just have an apology, okay? (laughs) Never have an excuse. God has grace to forgive us, but don't excuse it because by doing doing so, I'm preparing myself to be a slave to it. So, so Romans 6 is super challenging, but it's also very liberating if you believe it. And that'll be the challenge when we get there. We'll be believing this amazing liberty that Romans 6 is telling us we have. So, um, so there's some neat stuff there and some more deep theology that comes in, a challenging and needful passage. And uh, just so you know, no, it's, I'm not going to be preaching sinless perfectionism. I think that's a joke. Um, I like the old story about um, uh, Charles Spurgeon. Was at a pastor's conference convention of some kind, and one of the leaders got up and he taught about how we should be absolutely sinless. You never sin. This is you. You need to come to a place where you do not sin, and how he has come to that place. I just feel bad for that guy's congregation, right? <laughs> but um, but after afterwards breakfast the next day, Charles Spurgeon walked up and he grabbed a glass. It was milk or orange juice, something like that. Grabbed it and he went up to the guy and he just poured it on the guy's head. He just poured it over his head, and the guy flipped out. He's like, "What are you doing? And he goes, oh, it's nice to know you can still sin. Because <laughs> he, he lost his temper and yelled and stuff. But um, yeah, yeah. It's, you can preach sinless perfectionism as long as your congregation doesn't get to hang out with you outside of church. <laughs> you know? Uh, but it doesn't change the call of God upon our lives or the liberty he has given us in Christ. And so we need to soak this in and, and live it out. Uh, Romans 7 Gives us the theology of the law even more. It's a really interesting passage about a woman who's married and, and her husband dies versus, versus if she just leaves him. and it, That passage isn't so much about marriage, actually, as it is about the law and our relationship to the law. It's, it's an analogy he offers, the important parts of how it relates to the law. So it talks about our pur- the purpose of the law and what it means to not be under the law, which more often than not, when I hear someone say we're not under the law, Um, if they get probed, you know, pushed on that question a little bit, you find that they're not really sure what that means. Well, hopefully you'll know exactly what it means. I want want us to grab a hold of this. So Romans 7 verse 4, it says, Therefore, my brethren, you uh, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another, to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God which I will explain when we get there. <laughs> but, but it's just this beautiful passage. Then Romans 7 gets into the reality, um, although Romans 6 talks about our freedom, slavery and freedom and all that. Romans 7 continues, it talks about the reality of the battle of the spirit and the flesh. And this is one of the things that <clears throat> causes me to love the scripture and love the Christian worldview. It's so like real to the struggles we go through in our lives. I read Romans 7 and about, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. Like, that which I want to do, I don't do. And that which I don't want to do, I do it. And all this, and I'm going, man, I know exactly what this is. Like, I feel like I could have written this. And I've had believers come and, and tell me about their struggles. And they they weren't very discipled and didn't know the word. And I show them Romans 7. And they're like, whoa, that's there? That's in there? Because it's so real to our lives. It's just, it's right there. And I'm so grateful for this. Um, <clears throat> Romans 7 is so real and so true. And it and it teaches us to start thinking about our battle with sin as not a, I feel like I want to do this, but I shouldn't. But rather to think about it, think about the battle as my flesh versus my spirit. Walking in the flesh versus walking in the spirit. And there's a real spiritual wisdom in starting to see things that way. And uh, our Pastor Gary talked about this this morning. And he talked about how where's this temptation coming from? Right, it's the flesh. This is the old nature, and there's really healthy stuff in there, because anyone who loves Jesus hates sin, and then they see it in themselves, and it creates some angst. Yeah, and Romans 7's like, yep, there's angst, but there's also grace. There's also the Spirit, and there's there's good there's good words for us there. So Romans eight then. It talks about how Jesus is the cure, of course. Jesus Jesus is the solution, right? Romans 7 shows the struggle, the spirit versus the flesh. Romans 8 shows the spirit-filled life or what it's like to walk in the spirit. <clears throat> I think that chapter 6 and chapter 8 kind of go together. Because um, just 6 is talking about the slaves to sin, slaves to righteousness and all that. But Romans 8 is like the how you accomplish this. Like the the how-to of Romans 6. So it's interesting. Um in uh, Romans eight, it ends with a with a "we're all good." <laughs> it's really interesting. I like how it ends. Um, it, it let's read it. It's Romans eight verses thirty seven through thirty nine. It says, "Yet in all these things, and this, these are in sufferings and hardships and pain and difficulties, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us." Oh man, that's that's so beautiful. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And how this, this spirit-filled life, the victory comes not because I will have prosperity in this current life, because I'm not worried about the present or the things that will come. How often the present stressing you out and the things that are on their way are freaking you out. Yet, what's going to separate you from God's love? And I love this. Paul's this, there are some people who are, they're intellectual, and they can talk about facts and figures, but they have a hard time moving over towards, like, love, you know? <laughs> but <clears throat> God gives us all of this in the scripture. He gives us what, what, whatever the brainiest brainiac needs, and he gives us just the warmest hug that you could possibly get through his Word. And he, he it's, it's all there. It's all there. And it's not one or the other. And they shouldn't be pushed against each other. It's just all there. And whatever we can, you know, whatever we can handle digesting, we should be soaking that in and, and taking it as much as possible. <clears throat> so the spirit-filled life, Romans 8, it's going to give us the ability to please God. It gives us the sense of our adoption and our relationship, connection with God, personal connection with God through the spirit as we cry out, Abba Father. It talks about our heirship or our inheritance, not air, a r a i r but H-E-I-R. We're, we're heirs. <clears throat> and uh, that's contrasted with temporary suffering. And the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. And yet we're more than conquerors. And in the end, nothing will separate us from God's love. And it's just, you know, just go read Romans 8 when you're feeling down. You know. <clears throat> Romans 9 through 11 is, is kind of a section that some people feel like was just shoved into the middle of Romans. But it's really not the case. Because all the way through the book of Romans, Paul is explaining... <coughs> the Old Testament as it applies to all these things he's teaching. So in Romans 9 through 11, it deals with the natural questions you have about Israel. I mean the Old Testament is wrapped around Israel. It's all focused on God's plan through the nation of Israel. So then the question is, we have a church with a whole bunch of Gentiles and relatively few Jewish people. What's up with Israel, Lord? What's up with Israel? Romans 10 verse 1, it says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Like, I just, I want them to be saved. I want them to know Christ. You, you, you know the passage. He's willing to say, if I, if, if I could just trade myself for their salvation, I'd do it. I'd do it. Um, so the question here is, why is Israel rejecting God? Why is Israel rejecting the Messiah? Why aren't they experiencing the rest of the promises that God has given them? And he deals with this. So biblical objections are answered. Then, he's, so he answers them. We'll get into the details as we get there. Why Israel rejects him. In fact, it's, it's foretold. Then moral objections are answered. Paul actually answers the same kind of moral objections that common uh, atheists will commonly ask of Christians. So as we study Romans 9, we're going to see some really interesting things on how to respond to that stuff. There's a, there's a hugely important passage to Calvinists in Romans 9. I'm not a Calvinist, but I want to give it a fair treatment. And we're going to go over that too. That'll be interesting to do. Maybe we'll be Calvinists by the end of this. possible. Awesome. Hey, man, I'm, I'll go wherever the word tells us to go. But, um, <clears throat> but it's not my current position. Um, so uh, then when you, when you get to Romans uh, 10, you have um, Paul basically saying that Israel's rejection of the Messiah was actually always part of the plan. And he starts quoting Old Testament passages to show that Israel was going to reject the Messiah. So this shouldn't be a case against the Messiah. In fact, one of the Jewish statements of how we know Jesus isn't the Messiah is Israel rejected him. Well, Romans 10 deals with that objection. It deals with that objection. Um, so salvation, um, let's see, um, Israel has historically missed the boat. That's one of the things it says in Romans 10. Um, it, God specifically prophesied that the, re- the rejection of the Messiah by the Jews would happen and that the Gentiles would receive him. Specifically, he starts quoting Old Testament passages to support this. Then it gives in gets into uh oh gosh, there's just so much. There's so much there. Um so it it'll be fun to get into it. So salvation's always going to be a free gift. Um Israel was always seen as rejecting and then later receiving. And that's what happens in chapter eleven. In chapter eleven, it starts to answer the natural questions about Israel. Okay. So Israel's rejected the Messiah, like, okay, so they're evil or the Jews are bad or something like this. And Paul utterly destroys this opinion, utterly ruins and destroys this. And anybody who uses the Bible to promote anti-Semitism or any kind of racism is so horribly ignorant about the scriptures and and, and what they teach on these passages. Um, So let's look at this real quick. Uh, Romans 11 verse 25 and 26 Um, How forsaken are the Jews, right? He says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Here's something you need to know. Lest you should be wise in your own opinion. Ah, because what? What will happen? You'll be arrogant if you don't realize this. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. That's a huge statement. Israel is partially blind. There are Jews that are saved. There's a whole messianic fellowships. There are many thousands and thousands of Jews worshiping Jesus in this earth, even right now. And throughout history, there have been Jews that have been saved. But in part, Israel has rejected the Messiah for a time. For a time. And this is, this is pretty neat stuff. Until when? Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So there's a prophetic foretelling that there's like a, there'll be a Gentile reception. They'll, it'll continue that way until God's like, okay, that was it. Now, I'm going to move over and have this this new wave of revival in the Jewish people. And and who knows? Maybe that's already started. There's a whole lot of Jews following Jesus nowadays. And more and more is increasing. There's kind of some momentum in the number of Jewish people receiving Messiah. It's exciting. Um, Then it goes on, verse 26. It says, And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the Deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And so there is a future time coming when God will begin doing a revival in Israel and all that. This chapter of the Bible, chapter 11 of Romans, would have protected countless, of, countless Christians from anti-Semitism. Absolutely. To know we're grafted in, to know what it means, to know that they're beloved for the sake of the promises. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. It's right here in the scriptures. It's right here in the scriptures. So, so now now this is, this is interesting. I, I want to just point this out. I'm not saying you shouldn't be um, opposed to Jews or, or say things like like Christ killers or things like these horrible, anyway uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Beca- I'm not saying it because it's not politically correct. Like, oh, quick, Mike, swing your theology to what's politically correct. You know, well, here we are in the 21st century. We're not anti-Semitic right now. You don't want to do that. No, it's because 2,000 years ago it was written this way. And that's the thing. Christianity doesn't need to change. We actually, if anything, have to hold our ground even when culture goes in some crazy weird way because this is the truth. This is what's right. So in short, every promise to Israel will still happen to Israel. And that's what is meant by Romans eleven twenty nine. 29. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. That's about Israel. Does it apply towards us? Yes. Well, because God's gifts and callings are irrevocable. That's just a reality. But it's specifically talking about Israel. That's exciting. So at the end of chapter 11, he just steps back and takes a, a, a wow moment. And, and he's just like, oh, who's known the mind of the Lord? Like he's, he's looking back over everything he's shared so far. And he's like, look at God's amazing plan of salvation. Like just, this is just amazing stuff. So that's where it says, who's known the mind of the Lord? Who could be his counselor? That's in the context of all of Romans. Chapters 12 through 16 shifts, the book shifts. And now it is all about the Christian life. The Christian life as well as the outro, the, the, the greetings and final statements at the end of the book. But it's all about the Christian life. In Romans 12, let's read verses 1 and 2. I love, I share this all the time with the youth. <clears throat> it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove... What, that, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? So the rest of Romans you can see from 12 verse 1 on to the rest of the book is the, how do you do that? How do I do this? How do I give my body a living sacrifice? How do I live pleasing unto the Lord, holy, pleasing unto him? The rest of Romans now tells you how to do it. He's like, this is what you need to do and here's how you do it. So it's, it's like a manual for following Jesus. So it talks about spiritual gifts. Then it talks about walking in love. Then it talks about dealing with vengeance, which covers a lot, because <laughs> a lot of life is, is handling that, oh, I feel wounded by that person. How do I handle this? <clears throat> Romans 13 talks about submission to government. It talks about Christian character, and I can't wait to talk about this, because Christian character is an undertaught subject. We, we sometimes know more about future prophecies than we do about how we're supposed to conduct ourselves as like an employee you know, or a husband or a wife or just just a brother or sister in Christ with other people in the world. So it's just beautiful that it's going to deal with this. It's an undertaught issue. Then it tells us in Romans 13 verse 14, think about this. He says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Now that makes sense because earlier he taught us about the flesh and the spirit. So now when he says make no provision for the flesh, it's like, okay, I know what this is about because you're not assuming I already know it, Paul. You're teaching it to me one step at a time. So it'll get fuller and fuller as we go. But this is so much more than being good. Christians are not just called to be good. We're called to put on Jesus. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Like this is so much more than being good. There's literally a mode of living where we're putting on the Lord Jesus. and We're not, we're not automatons. We're not, I, I, some of us wish we could. I I've wished that many times. Lord, just take over, you know, just robot my life, you know. <laughs> you have permission. But, uh, but no, that's not his will. And... Um, but there is a sense in which you put on the Lord Jesus, make no provision for the flesh, and you walk that out. So, really neat stuff. Uh, Romans 14, it starts talking about our liberty in Christ. Our liberty in Christ. Because as soon as you become this like, I am so serious about following Jesus. I want to follow him with my whole life and everything I do to be pleasing to him. And what is that person doing over there? (laughs) Right? Right? it's inevitable that as soon as God shows me this deep spiritual truth, I want everyone else to be right on the same page. And that's not a bad desire. That's, a, that's, that's your passion. That's, so, but Romans 14 starts to tell us how to handle these differences. Now that you're following Jesus with all you got, how am I going to handle the struggle of, but maybe that person's not. You know, how am I going to deal with this stuff? So Romans 14 talks about our liberty in Christ, how we really do have liberty in Christ, but how to handle your liberty. So often... I hear preaching where people want to act like Christians don't have liberty or they want to act like all Christians have is liberty. Don't worry about it. But the balanced biblical teaching is you have liberty, but here's how you should o- operate in that liberty in Christ. Here's how you should use your freedom on issues of conscience. Uh, Romans 14.1 has this really interesting phrase that <clears throat> will make total sense to you once we get there. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. And it becomes this really good principle that we'll, uh, we'll dig into and get in the details. So it gets into issues of conscience. Um, and when consciences collide, when uh, I have a friend who was going to church and a girl came up to him and she said to him, and, and um, you know, he's an ugly guy, so I don't know why she said this to him, but she says to him, you know, you're, you wear those shorts. I'm just joking, but he says you wear those shorts. And he wore, it wasn't like short shorts, like 80s shorts or anything weird like that. But he was just wearing shorts and, uh, and she says, that stumbles me that stumbles me that you wear these to church, you know, and it's Calvary Chapel, so, like, you're like, you're just lucky we're wearing stuff, (laughs) I'm just kidding, (laughs) I'm just kidding, but, you know, it's, it's, no one's expected to wear anything, we don't care, you know, wear a suit, wear, you know, wear a a tank top, like, nobody cares, that's, that's our culture, right, that's just a cultural thing, but she says to him, and then he's like, what do I do, do I like not wear this or do I continue wearing it after she says it? And so what, do, how do I handle this? And so there's issues where our consciences collide and my own conscience, because I've always been that very strict person who's in had a problem that someone else wasn't as strict as me. That's been me. Typically Romans 14 completely changed my mentality on all those issues. And, um, but not to be ungodly, not to, not to say sin is okay at all, but just to say, Lord, let me have the full understanding of this issue. And, um, and so hopefully that'll, <clears throat> that'll be great for us, uh, help us all get along. <laughs> Romans 15 then, it deals with the priority of, check this out, unity over personal comfort. This is so important, especially the older we get, <laughs> the more we like our personal comfort. I, I've noticed this about myself. Like you don't care as much when you're, you know, when you're young. The older you're like, Man, I like, that's my chair, I like my chair the way it is. You know, it's just like the way we, we just get weird. <laughs> Romans 15 verses 1 and 2, it says, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. Scruples just means the way that they view how you should live the Christian life. Like maybe somebody thinks drinking NyQuil is a sinful act. You know? Yeah. <laughs> then, then those who are stronger should bear with, lovingly bear with the person who's, who has that problem. And that's, yeah, that might be a problem, but they're your brother and sister. It's really interesting. It shows that unity is better than personal comfort. Um, Not to please ourselves, but let each of us, verse 2, please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. Really, this is love and act right here. This is is what it is. So we're together for God's glory, and this is absolutely huge. Romans 15 is bringing us to unity. So first, notice that sanctity came first in Romans 12 through 16, right? First sanctification, you committed to Jesus fully, and then came unity, because we never do it the other way around. I never have unity, even though it causes me to sin. No, no, first I'm right with God and then I try to get right with people um, as much as possible and be loving and be gracious. Mm -hmm. Then Romans 16, it deals with like, it's like an outro. He's sort of beginning to close his conversation. He gives greetings from all these different people. There's some what might look like tedium there, but we'll find some cool treasures in the very names of the people and who they were. Um, Verse 17, he says this, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. He just talked a lot about unity. Now he's talking about godly division. Godly division, where you should actually intentionally divide yourself from other people, and it's which when it's when they cause divisions and offenses against the doctrines of Christ, against the teachings of Christ, um, and then you should avoid them. You should mark them and avoid them. Just I'm not I'm not coming after you. I don't hate you. I'm not even mad at you. But I will not fellowship with you. I'm gonna. Separate myself from you. This is not someone who you're who you're outreaching to. This is someone who is having this impact in the church. This is a biblical excommunication, which is to use that word is a little um, a little sketchy because uh, there's a Catholic definition of ex- excommunication, which is different than the biblical definition of that term. But it's an appropriate term. Excommunicate, ex as in out of, and communicate as in communicate. <laughs> like I'm not communicating with you. I'm I'm, I'm just. I'm not being rude to you or mean to you. In fact, I, I, I leave you with the invitation when you're ready to stop causing divisions and teaching contrary doctrines, please come back. We love you. We care about you. But for now, for the safety of the church and for the building of the body, we have to separate ourselves. So we'll get into all that. Um, avoid the divisive and offensive person. And that's pretty important stuff. Um, then you get to the conclusion, Romans 16. It says this in verses 25 through 27. <clears throat> now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the, be- the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith, to God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Now, you may feel edified after we've just done this survey of Romans but you have only smelled the food that grandma's been cooking. <laughs> because the the, the the beauty of it is when we dig in and we actually get to, to partake of it, you know, slowly, just piece by piece and just get get this stuff into us. I mean, do you believe Psalm 119? Right? That his word really is all these beautiful things. That it's like honey to my mouth. It, it, it brings life into my body. It makes me wiser than my teachers. I fully trust these things to be true. And I... Um, I think we're going to be really excited as we do this. I'm excited because we've been doing this series, Evidence for the Bible, for so long now, and I'm, I'm glad to actually do the Bible. <laughs> I will come back to the Evidence for the Bible series uh, the next time we'll be, we'll be doing archaeology, but I'm going to be probably taking weeks to prepare that. Then I'll do like one installment of Evidence for the Bible, like archaeology, and then I'll probably take more weeks to prepare the next thing. We'll talk maybe about science or something else um, as they come. But the, the main staple for Sunday nights uh, as we start out the new year is going to be the book of Romans, just verse by verse, you know, thought by thought as it goes. Um, I like how Romans sixteen verse twenty five it says that we can be established, not just edif- not just edified, like not just feel good, but established. There's a certain meaty healthiness that comes as we as we go through and just soak up and take in these teachings. I think it's awesome. So um, Romans again, it's, it's Paul's unpacking of his knowledge in the gospel, his knowledge by revelation from God of the gospel message. So it's like we get to sit at the feet of the Apostle Paul um, and learn those things and, and uh, by the inspiration of the Spirit. So it's pretty exciting stuff and I have a little bit of homework for you. A little bit of homework. Here it is. My encouragement to you, you don't have to do this, but it's up to you. If you like. I encourage you to read through the Book of Romans this week. Um, it's 16 chapters. So if you read a chapter a day, that won't be enough. <laughs> so... I don't know, it's like two and a half chapters a day or something like that. And what I would want you to do is I just want you to, to mark a couple things. Uh, if you don't mind marking in your Bibles, I would encourage you to mark the things you love. Like maybe you underline stuff like, man, I love that. So that when, you, when we come up to it, you could be like, oh, this is that part I love. I, I want to unpack it and understand it even better. But I also want you to mark the things that you don't understand. In my Bible, you'll occasionally, if you <laughs> look through my Bible, you would see little tiny question marks that I put on a passage when I'm like, I wonder what that's about and I'll put a little question mark there and it might be like two years later I'm going through the word and I'm looking and I go hey I know what that question mark is you know and that's just an encouraging thing so if you go through Romans and you put put little question marks next to things that maybe you don't understand and then as we go through hopefully that will become clear and um, we'll understand it and it's, it's Bible study it's, it's exciting stuff so uh, let's pray and then all any thoughts you guys have or questions then we'll, uh, we'll take those Father God we thank you for your holy word we thank you for the book of Romans um, I'm so stoked to get over, to get to go through it with everybody. It's so exciting. We pray that we would just simply understand it, that we would just get it and it would click and we would know what it means and um, how it applies into our lives. Thank you so much, Lord. May we be established in your word. May we be strengthened. May you, may you fill out our blind spots uh, with your word. Just be in the light. In Jesus' precious name, amen.